talk about today. Um, so to some cigar stuff, I want to talk about what we're smoking today. But first, um, big news today. So this is going to be probably two weeks from now. Um, and there's probably going to be even more stories on this by the time this podcast comes out. But there has been a return to the cigar industry. Tim Oz, Ozgener. Ozgener. Tim Ozgener. I think that's the pronunciation. The Osgener family is returning to the cigar industry. For all you new kids and cats out there, the, Oz, uh, uh, the Osgeners, I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm going to keep screwing that up all day. Um, were the family that founded CAO back in the 60s, I believe. Um, CAO was like this kind of bigger boutique, very Nashville-oriented brand. That's where John Huber got his start. And uh, Mike Condor, who's John's partner at Crown Heads, um, and they sold it to General. And in I don't know, two thousand four, two thousand five, and the family has been out. The 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 senior Osgener unfortunately passed away in twenty eighteen, but his son Tim is bringing a new cigar to market. And according to the Crown Heads Instagram, he's getting the band back together. So um, the name of the cigar is. Osgener Family Cigars, the Bosphorus. Now, this has some cool historical connotations that I want to discuss. The Bosphorus Strait is a slim body of water that basically separates Asia and Europe over by Turkey. The Osgener family is of both Armenian and Turkish heritage. Um, I have a few friends out there who probably aren't listening to this, but like, that's a big deal. <laughs> Armenians and Turks. It's, uh, let's Do just say it's a, a no, 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 Very, 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 very bad um, situation. But I guess because part of Armenia, where was Armenia is now Turkey, you know, there was a, probably some intermingling. So so this family is, is of both. Um, but the Bosphorus historically is a very important area because that's where a lot of the Persians invasions of Greece during, you know, the the ancient Greek times, 500, 400, even into 300 BC, the Bosphorus is where they had to, to cross to get into Europe from Turkey, from, you know, well, Persia's got a modern day Iran. Um, but it's, so it's very cool from a historical standpoint. Um, from a cigar standpoint, it's being made at Tobacco Laredo Picardo. Um, it is a Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper then he uses an Ecuadorian Connecticut and a Nicaraguan Yalapa binder, and then uh, three different types of filler from Esteli, Yalapa, and Ometepe. And it's being distributed by his old friend, uh, Crown Heads. So John is, is active, which is kind of cool because John started working for the family, and now not the family, not the family is working for him, but now like John is the, he, the lead guy. Moment. It's a very full circle thing. So I'm going to have... Uh, I'll have John on soon after the trade show and everything is done. Uh, maybe I'll have both of them. Maybe I'll have Tim and John on and talk to them. I've never met Tim. I, have, I, I, I think they've been pretty much out of the business since they sold, which is almost 20 years ago, you know, 15 years ago at least at this point. So it'd be cool to kind of get a little bit of the family history, the dynamic, and uh, what they're looking to bring to the table. Cigar looks great. Um, box press. Uh, being made at Picardo, so you know it's going to be top notch and bringing back that family legacy. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking at the box now. 
through uh, John's Instagram or Crownhead's Instagram. Mm. And it, yeah, the scar looks really good. Yeah, that should be really exciting. I mean, that that was that was a that was CAO. I mean, it still is obviously a big brand, but CAO was like this <coughs> boutique-ish brand. It was a small batch, like they were kind of not the first ones to do it, and they weren't doing things like Tatawahe, which I'm going to bring up in a minute, but they were this like family-owned, crafted brand that, you know, their their marketing was on point. Um and then General bought it, and obviously CAO cigars are some of the biggest in the industry now, and some of the highest rated. But it, it did lose a touch of that family feel when you're bought by like a big company like this. And so it's cool to see that family coming back in the industry and what they're gonna what they're gonna offer in these in these modern times. Can you gauge or maybe give some insight as to why maybe Tim wants to come back? I mean, who wouldn't? It's the cigar industry. It's baller. True. It's, you know who, who who here wouldn't want to be involved in this industry somehow it's pretty that cool. is true um well, was, was, also like the, was there know, a reason he left did you say that or am i the, it was his father's business and he sold it he probably okay, made, right, me gotcha, i made gotcha. a boat, boatload of money probably a boatload of money yeah. and you know that's that's interesting yeah but we, it's it's also interesting because this is right after we were just talking about matt booth going to room 101 and we yeah. talked about their kind of uh, and i spoke with matt about this but like you know the 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 history of general with these kind of brands and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Matt is going to very much work out because they're, they're basically just giving him the reins to do what he wants. So um, we're going to have him on very shortly in the next few weeks, again, after the trade show. So what we're smoking today, the top five cigars that changed the industry and me and Chris are smoking two of them right now. Chris is smoking the Padron 1926 40 year and I'm smoking the Tatawahe Havana six, which by the way, I forgot how, Goddamn good these yeah. are. I, <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot how good these are. Uh, it's been a while because, yeah. you know. This is my third or fourth Padron. They never miss. And that one, I that one I love. Ooh. Did it get in there? It just got fell in the pool. Oh, God. Uh, I thought it would have been great if it just fell, it fell in the ashtray. Yeah. Would have been perfect. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, give it a little more background. Obviously, you know, the, the video will come out and I touch on these things. But why you know like and that's that's what i wanted to make the focus of this episode is is these cigars that changed the industry so we'll start with this tatawahe that i'm smoking because it's got a you know a little more of a detailed backstory to it obviously pete johnson started tatawahe early 2000s i don't remember the manufacturer he had first but he had a line or two that came out with another guy in miami and then the tatawahe cabinet which was 2004, I believe, was the first Tatawahe with the brown band, with the fleur-de-lis and that whole thing. And I think that was the first one that was rolled by Pepin, but I believe it was still made in Miami. Um, they became hard to find because, you know, making cigars in Miami, you can't make a lot of them. It's expensive, you know, unions and taxes and all this stuff. The Tatawahe Havana 6, which is what I'm smoking, the red band one, this was the first cigar that was completely produced for Tatawahe in Nicaragua, using all Nicaraguan tobacco by the Garcia family. It was named the top 25 cigars of the year in 2007. I don't know where it placed, but pretty high up. Um, and this was also my first ever Tatawahe that I ever smoked. And I remember I got it from a small shop over in Verona. It's Fume, it's still there. If you're ever in the Verona, New Jersey or Bloomfield, New Jersey area, check out Fume, really cool shop. And I remember getting high off of this thing. Really? I remember being like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. Body, right? yeah, I mean, it's to, to, compared to stuff now, it's like medium to full. It's got some strength to it. Gotcha. 
Um, but compared to back then and the what time, I was yeah. smoking at the time, but I was, I was, you know, my first cigar, which is only a few weeks before this, was a La Gloria Series R, and that kicked my ass. But this one, I remember feeling loopy about it. Um, but what makes this cigar important? Well, it sets up so many things. It's set up Tatawahe as a brand really overall. The cabinets were like getting some good ink, but yeah. then this was like their kind of, I want to say this is their first like full production. People can get it. You know, it's going out to stores. It's, they had a, a name riding in from the cabinet, so they had a little bit of a name to like get their, get their product out there. And it's set up a lot of the flavor profile, a lot of the flavor similarities you're going to see in, in future Tatawahe's. This Nicaraguan heavy, Cuban-esque style, um, flawless construction. Uh, it basically helps set up their operation in Nicaragua. Um, and it kind of, I feel like this is the one that, it, whereas the cabinet introduced certain cigar smokers to Pete Johnson, the Tatawahe Havana 6 introduced the world to Pete Johnson. Now, Pete is uh, he's very, very humble, very nice guy. I've, you know, I've, I've interviewed him uh, once or twice. I don't know if he understands um, the impact that he had on this industry. Because when you look at other, other major players, other companies that really changed the industry, obviously Padron, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, the Altidus in general brands taking over like those Cuban heritage lines, Fuente, you know, um, Hoya de Nicaragua was, you know, first Nicaraguan cigar factory. Well, when you look at a brand like Tartawahe, which is big, but, you know, it's not a giant like a Drew Estate or a yeah. Oliva, you know. But the impact that that brand has had is remarkable. It's, it's had a profound influence on this industry. And John Huber will be the first one to say it. Without Tatawahe, there's no crown heads. There's no warped. There's probably no foundation. You know, and, and I'm not saying that these guys wouldn't have gone on to do something. Nick Melillo, when he left Drew Estate, he was going to do something. But in terms of the stylization, the the small, definitely Viaje, you know, the how the cigars were. And listen, there's there are some manufacturers that we would consider boutique because of their size, but are, are tossing out, like they're trying to toss out like big brand energy, mm -hmm. which is fine. Like they're, they want their stuff to, to be in every store and sold a lot. Uh, they want to hit those numbers, but there are a lot of boutique brands, black label trading company. I'm just going to keep naming them as I Caldwell, room 101, uh, Illusione to an extent, to an extent Illusione. But like Tatawahe was the the road that these guys have, and now they all came up around the same era. But Pete is kind of accredited as being the first one. I mean, yeah. the, the the first Monster series, which is uh, so two thousand eight. So that's what fourteen years ago. Yep, I was eighteen when that cigar came out. Do you think we have so many of the brands we have now without the Monster series? No. No, we don't. The pork tenderloin, the pork chop, you know, like it's so like a concept yeah. themed cigar, right? You, you, I think you were saying this a while ago, even when we were smoking the Monster Mash sampler like last Halloween, you were saying that that really put it on the map of like themed type cigars, right? Or branding. That kind of branding. Yeah. Yeah. Branding in general, I got to give to the Opus X in terms of like really branding your thing in a proper way. Um, oddly enough, Opus X did not make my list. Um, half because we don't have any in stock, so we couldn't really put it in the top yeah. five. 
but also because while Opus X was a, did a lot of firsts and was the to this day the most uh, culturally important cigar to this industry, what made the way for Opus X was really the Hemingway. A lot of things that they later did in the Opus X, they tested out in the Hemingway. Branding, um, quantities, how it was sold, flavor profile, flavor, profi- uh, flavor profile to or a degree. It wasn't. It was the, I mean, the Hemingway, I guess, was strong for its day. For the, I think it was the late seventies, early eighties, um, and just adding a touch of class to this thing and and making it a little more refined and and also not having a name attached to it. It wasn't like some Monte Cristo or a Cohiba. Yeah. It was you know kind of doing it on their own. And I guess in a way that the Hemingway was branded because all the, you know, it's based off of Ernest Hemingway and all the the names of the sizes are like the classic, the work of art, the short story. They're all kind of, you know, I guess it's branded in a way. Yeah. But the Hemingway led to the Don Carlos and the Don Carlos led to the Opus. Because when each one of those previous cigars was was first on the market, they took on that role of like people like, oh, have you heard of this Fuente Hemingway? Oh, I can't find it. You had to know a guy who knew a guy, and then you would go get it. Obviously, those brands have become much more available now. But I, I give credit to the Hemingway for basically showing that the way that they ended up releasing Opus was a viable way to release it. And then, but of course, the Opus is just a monster on its own. So that that's Tatuaje, the Havana Six. I mean, really, really the Tatuaje Frank. I would say is the obvious choice for one that really changed the industry. But in terms of setting, like I I look at not just the obvious choice. I also look at, well, what made the obvious choice possible? Mm -hmm. What made that possible? Um, They're not really related, but like Star Trek made Star Wars possible, you know? So, well, this is the cigar that, that made it possible for what's that saying. It's like this thing, um, walk so this other thing could run mm-hmm. like, you know you always see that like exactly vine walk so tiktok could run kind of thing you know and that's kind i miss of, vine yeah so do i for some reason i liked vine better than i like tiktok i think it's because we were younger we were uh, young but also vine was like people were only doing funny things so many people on tiktok are just like doing those like they were just i remember yeah. tiktok was just people dancing and lip syncing to songs that like they yeah. didn't write vine vine that's was like people were doing time, skits that's the first time i heard of bo burham Oh, I, I knew Bo Burnham in know, high school. I didn't know him I, I, well, I knew yeah. him on YouTube in high school. Yeah. That's the first time I, I got introduced to him, and he was hilarious. I, I first learned about Logan Paul yeah. was on there. Chris D'Elia. Um, I found Chris D'Elia, yes. Through someone uh, else. Uh, this guy, King King Botch or King Bach, he was hilarious. He does, And there were six seconds, right? So you had to, like, be funny <laughs> in, the, in a short amount of time. You know, mm. I remember there... When Vine was out, there was a Vine film festival um, where you had to have your film under like they went it up to 30 seconds. So I thought that was interesting. There's a great YouTube. You can even watch them on YouTube. Uh, can't watch us on YouTube. Yeah. Um, there's a great YouTube, some YouTube videos of like movies in five seconds. Oh, those are the greatest. There's the, the Dude, my, I discovered the, them in college. Which, what's your favorite the one? The Titanic one. Yep. Titanic one was my favorite. Sink. The ship can't sink. Yeah. <laughs> My my favorite one I was telling, I think Justin was Lion King. Mufasa was like, Mufasa and Simba in the scene like, 
we're pals, right? Right. And we're always going to be together, right? Right. And then it cuts to him just dying. Fossil falling, and then Akuna Matata. It was like great. The Rocky one was good when he yeah. kept making noises. <laughs> Matrix. Whoa. And yes. Just come to that. They're genius. They're the, Lord, the Lord of the Rings one was really yes. good. Hot. <laughs> when they did all three of them at yeah. once. Hobbits. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the cigar that you're... Uh, how are we doing on time here? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, the Padron 1926 40-year. So is this cigar significant in in terms of its blend? Not really. What makes this cigar significant is it was the first... Ev- you all right? Yeah, I'm good. Allergies? No, I just had to scratch my nose. That's why my no, eyes are watering. COVID. COVID all everywhere. Yeah, right. I've gone it. two years without it. How? Uh, that's the thing that makes me mad, how people have not gotten it at all yet. Like, come on. But we're going to talk about it. I'm going to end come up on. getting it. So. Man up. Go get it. <laughs> Be a man. Be a man. Get COVID. Um, the Padron 1926 40 year was the first ever cigar rated number one by Cigar Aficionado. The first cigar ever. Ever rated number one. It was on the first list, 2004. It's the first cigar. So then do you think this cigar set a precedent of like what needs to be number one now? I think or? it set a precedent for a lot of things. Okay. Um, first of all, that list was so impactful because that list. The first list ever. Yeah. first yeah. List, for, That was the first. I'm sure. I mean, it was 2004. I'm sure there was a blog or something out yeah, there. Yeah, but like for, yeah. You know, there wasn't any YouTube videos. There was other magazines. I think we had our cigar magazine back then. I'm sure there was other publications, but this was the biggest publication for the industry by a country mile. And they released their first ever. And they had done their ratings before that were impactful. If you got a 91 in Aficionado in like 1998, that meant something. Like wow. they're, they, you know, it was important. I feel like people get 89s now and it's a disappointment, right? Or now, or like. It depends on the publication. If, I, if oh, yeah. I made a cigar, if I made my first cigar and I got an 89 on Half Wheel, I'd be like, oh, that's pretty good. If I got an 89 on aficionado. Coop or Aficionado, I'd be like, da. Really? Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, just how they, how they rate things is just different. Um, I, would, I would expect if I was making a cigar, I want to get like at least a 90 or 91 from Coop, a 90 or 91 from uh, Aficionado. And then if I can get it between an 89, if I got a 90 on my first one from Half Wheel, that'd be a big deal. If I got an 80, honestly, if I got an 88 on my first one from Half Wheel, I'd consider it a, a win. Uh, let's pull up that list, actually. Let's pull up that first, that first list. So this was the top 25 from Cigar Aficionado back in 2004. You had the Padron, 1926, 40th anniversary or 40 years. The Aurora 100 Años Bellicoso. Have the, you smoked all, like most of these? No, the Aurora no, 100. Okay. All right. The Cohiba Siglo um, Cuban. That's, um, I think that's what that's, that, that should have gotten a credit in the Last Dance documentary. That shit was in every scene he was yeah. smoking, you know? Number four was the Don Carlos, Fuerte Don Carlos number two. Number five was the Monte Cristo Platinum. I've been telling people for years that the Platinum was underrated and no one wants to listen to me. Number six was the La Gloria Cubana Reserva Figurado, which I don't even remember that one. Seven was the Ashton um, BSG, which is also in our top five. Number eight is the Monte Cristo number two Cuban, of course. (laughs) Number nine is the Davidoff Millennium. Again, I've been telling people that the Davidoff Millennium was underrated. No one wants to listen to me. Number 10 was a Trinidad. I'm guessing, is that a, the Cuban Trinidad? The no, oh, no, the Altidus, the old Altidus wow. Trinidad, the basic Trinidad. That's a, that's a solid smoke. 
11 was the Lido Gomez Diaz Chisel Puro, so a, a La Florida Minicana, essentially. Number 12 was a San Cristobal Cuban. Number 13, the Opus X was 13 that year. Wow. Baller. And it was already out like nine years, right? Yeah. yeah. 14 was the Fonseca. 15 was um, a Cuban H. Upman Magnum. 16 was La Roma de Cuba. Uh, who was making the Loma de Cuba back then? Florida Copan was making it? No way. Yeah. Florida Copan was making the Roma de Cuba back then. How about that? 17 was the CEO La Anniversaire uh, Cameroon, which I think is the one that John said is like one of the best cigars he's ever had. Are they still in produ- like? No. You can't get them anywhere? That, w- that was like an original CEO. I mean, even if, if they're making them now, it's going to be different. 18 was the Hoya de Nicaragua Celebración Churchill. 19 was the Sancho Panza Extra Fuerte Madrid. Never heard of that one. Sancho Panza was a Altidus. I think Altidus makes them. 20 was the Camacho Special Limited Reserve Rothschild. Back, this is back when Christian Eroa owned Camacho. So interesting seeing the bands are completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21 was the Ashton Heritage Puro Soul. 22 was the Rocky Patel Vintage wow. 1990. 23 was the Padron 6000. 24 was the H. Upman Vintage Cameroon nice. Bellicoso. And number 25 was the Tatuaje Cabinet Especial. It's a pretty legit list. Yeah, I think this is actually one of their better lists ever. I mean, I list, for the time, for the time, and don't forget, for the time, Rocky Patel was like a boutique kind of thing. Tatuaje, you know, no one, they were only on the market really three, not even, like, only couple, like maybe a year or so when that came out. So the, since you've been in the industry for you, so like what, 2010, 20, 2009? Yeah, around in. What's been the best top 25 list for you? Ah, yeah. Is that, <laughs> I don't to put you on the spot, but like, I have to go back you, and what's look. your favorite? Like, the what? one year where Foundation got number three, where the Wise Man Madero got number three, that was a good year. And that, I think that was just more of a me, like, mm-hmm. hoorahing for Nick and that, like, somebody small. Like, that does anything in the, in the top five. Obviously, number one is the biggest deal, but anything in the top five is a big deal. And to have a company that, you know, this is only like his third, you know, third or fourth cigar. He'd only been out on the market a couple of years. And to get number three um, and a very high rating, that was a, that was like a champion for the little guy. And I was like, yeah, you do it. Uh, but recently, just the more brands are, that are out there and the, the more I smoke and they just refuse. Like, I don't think Black Label has ever, like, not, I'm not even talking about 25. I don't think I've ever seen a Black Label trading company review by them. Like they just, they got to expand that a little bit, just a little bit. But the list is, and we talked about this in our, in our list coverage earlier this year, the list is inc- probably one of the most important pieces, whether people agree with it or not. And there's a lot of times I don't agree with it, but one of the most important pieces, you know, editorial pieces or content pieces that for this industry every year, it, it probably is by f- like the most important content piece um, now half wheel is like pulling up there. Like the, the consensus from half wheel is also a, has become a very big deal, but because of how recent it is, and I don't know any numbers, I don't know from a retail side, like what, I don't, I'm not gonna use the word backlash and that's not a backlash because it's a positive yeah. thing, but like what the retail implications are for being like named number one on the consensus or number one on half wheels list versus I know that if you get number one on aficionados list, you're making money now you're going to be making some money. And so to have the first cigar ever be a Padron, 
And look, and like you said, look at the precedent it set. Padron has n- only one year, I believe it was 2017. Only one year has a Padron not been in the top 10. That's it. And I think that year it was like number 12. 18 years of yeah. Yeah, dominance. Yeah. It's to Michael Jordan. Oh, That's regard. nuts. It is. It's completely nuts. Now, we've talked about this. I don't want to get... I don't want to get into it, like, does it deserve it or not? Mm-hmm. I think that year in 2004, it absolutely deserved it. My, and like we've discussed, my issue with like this year having the Padron 1964 as a number one cigar of the year, you've been reviewing that same cigar for like over 20 years. Like, the yeah. 64 has been out for years. They haven't changed the blend. Like, if you're giving it points for consistency over that length of time, okay. But you're going to tell me out of everything you tried this year, the best thing was something that was blended 20 years ago? Yeah. And it's not even, in my mind, it's not even like the best Padron. Like, that's what gets me. Like, come on. If it was like a family reserve or like Padron released a new blend, okay. But it was like... Now, Padrones are high end across the board, so this is not an insult. But like the 1964, in my mind, is like a middle tier Padron. It goes like the Padron series... The Damaso, which I was never a huge fan of. Then the 64, then the 26, and then like, then the 90, and then like all the family reserve stuff. So the 64 is for me is like a mid-tier Padron, but that's like saying this is a mid-tier Ferrari. You know what I mean? But that's like if you had a top 25 sports cars of the year and a Ferrari from 1998 was named your number one. I'm like, really? Like this Audi R8 is not better than that the ferrari la ferrari is not mm-hmm. better than like you're gonna sit there and tell me that this this car from just for the sake of like innovation it can't be the best one anymore because so many things have been done in the past 25 years yeah that's it's it goes with every every topic like known in at least pop culture i feel like or to mankind is like you have to keep repurposing like best of lists and and you know we talked about at nauseum. I think, you know, having a cigar that was blended over 20 years ago and that's the best thing you've smoked in a year where what, on average, how many new brands are coming? Are, how many, how many yeah. new lines are coming out? Incalculable. Of yeah. Like it's, it's so for you to just say, it, it almost seems like they make up their mind a lot earlier than, like they just make up their mind already kind of thing. Like, yeah. And they say they do up a, their they, mind like, they say they do a blind, like everything is blind t- yeah. tasting. Like they, you know, they take all the bands off and then they smoke them. And I'm like, all right, but first of all, it's not really blind because one year you had the La Florida Minicana Andalusian Bull as your number one. Look at that cigar. Nothing else ever in the history of cigars looks like that cigar. Yeah. I, I, not even close. Yeah. Not even close. It is probably the most unique looking premium cigar yeah. out there. And you're going to say, you smoked it blind. You knew what the hell that was. Yeah. You've been smoking Padron 64 Bellicosos for 30 years. You're going to tell me in a blind taste, you don't know which one the Padron Bellicoso is? BS. I know what it is, Padron. If you, if you put five box press torpedoes in front of me without the bands on, I would tell you which one the Padron is. Like, yeah. don't, don't tell me it's blind tasting. Um, and it just, and, and it also, I don't want to get into it. We've talked about it at, at nauseum already, but it hurts the brands that also weren't into the top 25 because then there's a lot of skeptics. Like is the Monte Cristo 1935 that good? Yes. Like all the cigars that were named this year belong on there, but because we don't trust the system, 
it's like I don't really trust the like I'm sure Parasite was a great movie, but like I don't just I just don't trust the Academy because like they put so many other things in front of it being a, le- a legit movie that I'm like I don't like I was I was in no rush to watch it. Yeah. I don't know. I always, you know, I'm just, a, I'm a massive sports fan. So I always look at like sports when people try to compare decades. And I, I just, at this point, I don't think you can, you know, um, there's going to be a time, a point in time where younger, the younger generation will not know about some of the greatest athletes ever. I, I, I really wonder in like 40, 50 yeah, years, are like, they going to know about Muhammad Ali? Are they going to know about No, Michael I think they Jordan? will because, because people still like, it, like this generation, I think is like the people, oh, so what are we? We're millennials, I guess. Yes, what's what's beneath us? Is it Gen Z? Yeah. Like Gen the Gen Z doesn't, they, every, they, they're, they're overall terrible, but uh, if the Gen Z is listening, I'm sorry, but you guys suck. But then again, we sucked. Yeah, we sucked. Too. And then yeah. the, the Gen X above us, like they, everyone yeah, sucks. Yeah. Everyone, but like a, a 13 year old baseball player right now knows who Babe Ruth is. You think so? Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Now somebody who like a Justin at 13 might not know who Babe Ruth is. Cause he's not a, into sports. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's the great Bambino dude. He's not the fat guy that ate hot dogs. Yeah. How many, how many, how many Yankees games did your dad play? How many home runs did your dad hit? Exactly. God damn so like it. Players coming into the NBA now, like they, they're the high. fat guy who ate hot dogs, 713 home runs. Luke Eric was probably a better overall player, but Luke Eric also didn't get to play that long because he got sick. But all those Do you know what he got? Lou Gehrig's disease. Those guys back in the day, though, were working. We've talked about this also. In the off season, they were work. They like owned. They were working at meat shops, yeah. car. Well, like, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was. Babe Ruth did. Also, Babe Ruth was made more than the president. Whiskey, smoking cigarettes, and still playing. He at was the first a celebrity level. to make more money than the president. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, but players coming into the like NFL or NBA now, like they're playing against like like quarterbacks coming in now. They're playing against Tom Brady, who is their idol. Players, all these rookies are like LeBron James is my favorite player until the last like. I felt like the last dance was released to let to remind everyone who the who goat Michael is. Jordan was. Who the goat is? Yeah, to remind. And people give Babe Ruth crap because like, oh, he played in like the dead ball era. Yeah, he played in the dead ball uh, ball era, and no one else was even hitting twenty or thirty home runs a year. He was yeah. he hit sixty. He hit yeah. fifty five. He hit forty. Like no one else was nowadays. If uh, how many players are hitting forty? Probably not not a ton, but like there's a couple players every year hitting yeah. forty home runs. He was he. The year he hit 60 home runs, he hit more home runs than every team in the American That's League insane. combined. And before we before we wrap up, I have to say about Aaron Judge, he's in. A, and they got to pay him. Players in general, they got to pay him. Players go berserk right before they get paid. Paid. So Aaron Judge is on the. I think they said he's on pace to break the home run record this year. I believe he won't. He'll get injured again. He'll get I don't injured think right? so. I, I think he's going to. But this is what makes me mad. I mean, I'll go, why I want to, I would like to talk to him. And I'm like, dude, like I get like, listen, you're having a great year. I want, I want you to get your money, but you were asking for Mike Trout money before this year where you had one good season and then you've been injured for two of like two whole seasons. Yeah. You were injured and you wanted to be paid the same as the guy who has been the most productive offensive player in, in 40 years. You wanted the same amount of money and you did not earn that. And you were kind of a dick about it. But do you look at it as 
the Yankees have been to the playoffs more and have been in position to get to the World Series more than Mike Trout. So is, are they are the Angels just feeding Mike Trout money because he's Mike Trout? But Aaron Judge he's still producing, brought, man. Like, I know, but the Angels you know. just. Ha- I think we talked about it up here with Derek. The Angels. I think he's been around eight to ten years, Mike Trout. I think he's they only he's- made the playoffs once. Aaron Judge has been around since what twenty sixteen. Yeah, but it's so much more than one player, and that's the Angels' fault. Like, no, I I, I agree, but but somehow, with him and o, and Otani, like they sh- like they have two they of the have best, two of the best players. Yeah, like when they're you, terrible, they're like so. Yeah, I don't know. Terrible. I I don't really fall base like that. I don't know who's on the Yankees right now that is that is coinciding well with Judge. But every Their time pitching I hear is really a good. Highlight, Their pitching is really good. Aaron Judge hit what two walk off homers against the Astros last weekend, like. Like, I don't know. I think it almost he, makes me think that they're cheating this year, to be honest. You're saying that. Yeah. I, I'm almost worried that they're cheating, but I hope nah, not. They have the best uh, listen, record pay, in the pay him his money, but like, here's like. But you hope that he doesn't next year. He got paid. He stops. Dude, he I, wa- his contract that he wanted before this year, he wanted it 230 through. 230 or? But he, that was, I think they offered him like 215. But the, he wanted a contract through when he was 40 years old. And I'm like, dude. You were injured for yeah. two whole seasons when you were in your 20s. Why would they, like, I, I totally agree with the Yankees in the beginning of this season that they should not have paid him that money. And here's the thing. I'm going to be really pissed if he has this great year, if he's all-star, MVP, hits 70 home runs, they pay him his money, and then next year he bats 240 and strikes yeah. out a thousand times. I'll be like, you know what, dude? You were just doing it. You. Yeah, you were just doing it because you wanted to get paid. You see that all the time. And it, and it makes me, like... Derek, see, this, and this is what makes me hurt as like I was hoping for him to be the next leader. The Yankees have just had a hard time finding their next leader. Yeah. It was supposed to be Cano, and then he left. He turned out to be garbage. Yeah. Uh, and I was really hoping for Aaron Judge, but then he pulls this. Derek Jeter, the only time as as far as publicly he got into it with the Yankees about his pay was like his last season. Yeah. And he wanted like one more year in this spot. Like I think he still batted like 280 that year. He just wanted some reason. And it's like, dude, money, like I've yeah. given you so much. And that's where I started with the player over the team. It's Derek Jeter. It's his last year. Give him what he wants. I agree. Tom Brady, This is like, yeah. you did not earn the amount of money you were asking for. You're earning it now, but you did not earn it six months ago. Yeah. And then you like, I bet Scott Boris is his agent. Probably. It's got to be Scott yeah. Boris. O- only he would have the balls to do yeah. this. <laughs> and then tell his player, yeah, go out and be good this year. Yeah, go to crush get your it. You're going to yeah. get money. So, But oh, what? Another Lou? Was, Sparky Lyle? Was that about like the Yankees in the seventies? Yeah, that was during the um, Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson, and Billy uh, Martin. Was Billy, the Martin. Yeah. Billy Martin was the manager. Yeah, that there was, was a, a show on FX. I think it was back a, uh, in the, the, day. Uh, the Bronx is burning or something. Yeah, what's his name? Taturo played. Taturo played Billy, Billy Martin. Martin, and it was uh, at the same time when uh, what's the. the, the Son of Sam. Son of Sam was happening. What's his name? Who uh, Oliver Platt played George Steinbrenner. Yeah. Oh, it was really good. Yeah, that was like their Steinbrenner era, like the early Steinbrenner era. That was crazy. Steinbrenner was like threatening to hate his own players. Yeah. He was such yeah. he, he was the Donald Trump of baseball. It's awesome. All right. Well, that's all. Mm-hmm. Chris, we all wish you a good luck and a Thank fair you. adieu. We will be talking to you soon. Yes, yes. I will be back. I will be back soon. Um Yeah, you don't have to worry about anyone else taking your spot. So Thank you. And um, if the studio burns down because of Justin, we you know we apologize. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, I'm excited to be back. And when I'm back, I'll give you an update on how it is to be father for the first time. I'll probably come back with more gray hair or no hair at all, from what people tell me. So yeah, I mean, I made my dad go bald. So <laughs> it happens. All right, God bless. Thank you, Thank and you. thanks everyone for watching.